Remember the 90s, when MTV still played music videos, when people still bought physical copies of albums, and when legendary musicians like Kurt Cobain and Dimebag Daryl still walked the earth? Well, now you can once again relive that decade every week on KBGA because your favorite 90s radio show, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, is back and better than ever. It's still the best show on KBGA to hear artists like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Sublime, Megadeth, Primus, and more. Again, that's Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Now on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m., only on 89.9 KBGA Missoula.
That was Caius kicking off this program with Thumb off their 1992 album Blues for the Red Sun. Welcome to the award-winning Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I'm your rinky-dink host, Ian. This episode contains music from the likes of The Screaming Trees, Rocket from the Crypt, My Bloody Valentine, A Tribe Called Quest, Cracker, Seven Mary Three, Cold Chamber, Letters to Cleo, The Rugburns, and No Use for a Name. Plus, I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song apiece from the new Spoon album, Lucifer on the Sofa, the new Eddie Vedder album, Earthling, and the new Snoop Dogg album, B.O.D.R., all of which were released on February 11th, and the new Midnight Oil album, Resist, released on February 18th. I'll start with Eddie Vedder. Pearl Jam frontman Eddie Vedder hasn't had nearly as prolific or as rigidly defined a solo career as other iconic rockers. Before this year, he only had two albums released under his own name. The first was actually the soundtrack album for the 2007 movie Into the Wild, and that one was more of a folk rock endeavor whose songs consisted solely of Vedder singing and accompanying himself on acoustic guitar or mandolin. The second was 2011's Ukulele Songs, which was exactly what it sounds like, an entire album built up from nothing but Eddie Vedder and a ukulele. It was also more of a compilation than a proper studio album, with Vedder intermingling original solo songs with covers of old standards, as well as reworked versions of past and future Pearl Jam songs. The common thread linking those two albums is that Vedder is completely alone on both of them, embracing the literal meaning of the word solo and establishing a notable distinction between his solo work and the music of Pearl Jam. For his new album, Earthling, however, Vedder has opted to take a different approach. He has assembled a whole new musical collective called The Earthlings, whose principal members are Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer Chad Smith, former Chili Peppers guitarist Josh Klinghoffer, and session musician Andrew Watt, who famously served as lead guitarist on Ozzy Osbourne's latest solo album. Aside from them, the Earthlings include, among others, an entire ensemble of orchestral players, 13-year-old daughter Harper Vedder as a background singer, and special guests Elton John, Stevie Wonder, and Ringo Starr. Basically, Earthling is more of a traditional solo album than Vedder's past two. By that same token, though, it feels like a new beginning or reboot to Vedder's solo career, and if this initial outing is any indication, there's a lot of exciting potential for the road ahead. For roughly its first two-thirds, Earthling plays more or less like a new Pearl Jam album, with different songs evoking different eras of the band. For instance, mid-tempo single Brother the Cloud would have sounded right at home on 1998's Yield. The punk-tinged Rose of Jericho channels the Verses and Vitalogy era. Second single The Haves sounds just like one of Lightning Bolt's ballads. Chord-heavy rocker Power of Right could have easily been part of 2020's Gigaton, and Good and Evil evokes early 2000s albums by Gnarl and Riot Act, though its guitar riff is highly reminiscent of Yield's opening track Brain of Jay. However, other influences can also be detected throughout those first nine songs. Lead single Long Way sounds so much like a Tom Petty song that it seems like Vedder is deliberately imitating his singing style out of homage. The Dark gives off major Bruce Springsteen vibes, and the spoken word rambling that kicks off anthemic album opener Invincible shows that the David Byrne influence Vedder sometimes demonstrated on Gigaton was more than just a one-time fling. 
It's during the last four tracks on Earthling, though, that the album really stretches its legs and takes Vedder outside of his Pearl Jam comfort zone. As it so happens, this is the point where those aforementioned guest stars come into play. The tenth song on the album, Try, is a jaunty little number whose prominent harmonica track from Stevie Wonder immediately sets it apart from everything that came before. Next up is Picture, a bouncy, piano-driven duet with Elton John that sounds much more like one of John's own songs than Pearl Jam and is a definite highlight. This one is followed by another piano-heavy track, Mrs. Mills, which has the unmistakable feel of a Beatles song, particularly one of McCartney's. That Ringo Starr was the drummer for this song is certainly no coincidence. Finally, the closing track, On My Way, is a trippy, ethereal, two-minute outro that bears some similarity to certain low-key Pearl Jam songs like I'm Open and Push Me, Pull Me, but its unique configuration of strings and keys make it something else altogether. Overall, Earthling is about on par with the quality of the latest Pearl Jam album, Gigaton, which is to say it's pretty damn good. And speaking of Gigaton, Pearl Jam have reportedly already finished the follow-up to that album, so chances are you're going to be hearing the voice of Eddie Vedder in more than one context during my 2022 Album of the Year show in December. In the meantime, I'm going to hit you with one of my favorite tracks from Earthling, the aforementioned chord-heavy rocker Power of Right. Enjoy!
Masters of the Holy Was an album by Led Zeppelin I bought it on a track Not on CD Fades out in the middle The way an A-track's supposed to The way an A-track's supposed to I got the number 13 Tattooed on my bicep The 13th letter of the alphabet Is the letter M Stands for marijuana The way that it oughta The way a letter oughta About taking LSD and driving across the country, driving in a school bus, a school bus on LSD. The way an education ought to be. on his vomit The way a rock star's supposed to die The way a rock star's supposed to die The way a rock star's supposed to die Wanna die wasted In a room with any
Then I saw this girl, asked her if she like it like that. Not ahead, yes, therefore I didn't stress. Let my beat keep knocking, cause we rockin' like that. Bust your ass slow as if you didn't know. Put my mic inside your brain, don't this home bitch. It's the rhyme, it's the beat, the vibe all together that makes the competitors sound like this. Really do I care, yo, I let down my hair when the music's up loud, man, I don't real bad. Lyric overload in club, in the boat, in Jeep, in America, tribe on that. Females vibe while my nigga just ride with the songs we creating and music we relating. Sex digging talk, by bodies in chalk. Meanwhile, they boot shaking on some punk and shaking. Wait, I can't front stick, then there's a few who really come to do what they say they gon' do. Back at the bench, there's no car branch. Everybody gon' move when we see you, so. Do you like it? Say yeah if you like it like that. Yeah! Do you like it? Hell yeah if you like it like that. Hell yeah! Do you like it? Tell me if you like it like that. Yeah! Do you like it? Verse 2 if you like it like that. Could be the one rhyming ill, having fun, blowing up, making musical memories and things. Elevate your thoughts off the vibe that we brought while we climb and we shine like a Super Bowl ring. You could do what you, I mean, pop like we do, interlock like we do, and make your own mark. It's deeper than the song, hope you live your life long. Where you win, how you start, kid, you gotta have heart. Ziggin' in my ish, move, give it in room, back it up, it's a grown man making on time. Bust you down similar to Newport, smoking ain't a new sport, smoke you since the inventor rhyme. Gotta spread love, no matter where you are, where you at, where you been, cause nobody wants beef. Fountain is good, just flows like a river, just go with it, it's kid, my state ain't beef. Jahad in the day, in the night, family, enemies, but yo, I really don't wet that. We was in the back of the joint, cooling out, and I saw this girl, asked her if she like it like that, yeah. He like it like that, he like it like that, he like it like that. Heard is an 80s metal hair band thinks they are. College radio is 89.9 FM KBGA Missoula.
portion of KBGA is brought to you by Imagination Brewing Company. By supporting over 1,700 community events in its educational center, Imagination brews handcrafted beer to make a positive impact on Missoula and beyond. For more information about what's on tap, weekly live music offerings, or to reserve the center, call 406-926-1251 or visit imaginationbrewing.com. Shareholders gonna play 
the shareholders gonna flex and try to annex the truth. And while the new trust tries to flex and cast their image in you. And GE is gonna flex and try to annex the truth. And NBC is gonna flex and cast their image in you. About the fantasies and piles of eyes And ABC's new thrill rides and trials and lies And while the gut eaters strain to pull the mud from their mouths They force our ears to go deaf to the screams and the sound Against the Machine with Wind Below, off their 1996 album Evil Empire. Last month, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced its list of nominees for the class of 2022, and Rage Against the Machine were nominated yet again, along with 16 other acts. Beck, Eminem, Judas Priest, A Tribe Called Quest, Kate Bush, The New York Dolls, Lionel Richie, Duran Duran, Eurythmics, Carly Simon, Devo, Fela Kuti, Dionne Warwick, MC5, Pat Benatar, and Dolly Parton. Of the 17 nominees, six of them, Rage, Devo, Kate Bush, Dionne Warwick, The New York Dolls, and Fela Kuti, were on the ballot last year as well. And seven of them, Beck, Dolly Parton, Lionel Richie, Carly Simon, Duran Duran, A Tribe Called Quest, and Eminem, made the ballot for the first time ever, with the latter making it in his first year of eligibility. As always, I'm of course hoping against hope that this is the year Rage finally makes the cut. They have now been nominated four times since first becoming eligible roughly five years ago, with the 2020 ballot being the only one they weren't included on within that time frame. It seems like the Rock Hall really wants to induct Rage, or at the very least they want the appearance of wanting to induct Rage, perhaps because a band with prominent African American and Latin American members would bolster the Hall's diversity quotient. However, because Rage is primarily seen as a metal band, it's probable that they still have a long uphill battle ahead of them. Much has already been made of the Rock Hall's apparent bias against heavy metal, including by yours truly on this very program, so I'm not going to get into it now. I'm just going to take the opportunity to point out that, after all these years, Black Sabbath and Metallica are still the only true metal acts in the Hall of Fame, and that it feels to me like more than just an oversight. Still, if Rage continue to get nominated at this rate, eventually there's going to be a year where the Rock Hall will have no excuses to fall back on. As for the rest of this year's 90s representation, I'm also pulling for Beck and A Tribe Called Quest to get into the Rock Hall. 
Of course, I'd go to bat for pretty much any artist I routinely play on Sounds Like Teen Spirit, but I truly believe that both of those artists deserve a seat at the table. I'm actually kind of surprised that Beck hasn't been nominated before. I mean, he's only been eligible for a few years now, but I kind of figured him to be a first-round draft pick, so to speak. Beck has most definitely never stopped working since the runaway success of the Loser single off of 1994's Mellow Gold, and he's had numerous other hits on the rock and pop charts over his very prolific career. Even to this day, he remains a leading figurehead of the alternative scene, so he's certainly done enough to earn his place. I also hold a tribe called Quest in high regard, and feel they are among the most deserving hip-hop acts yet to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's perhaps a troubling sign that they've been eligible for several years before getting their first nomination, though. Just about every hip-hop artist inducted thus far, including the last three, Tupac, Biggie, and Jay-Z, made the cut in their first year of eligibility, so the fact that Tribe have been overlooked from 2015 up until now suggests they might have to continue being patient for the time being. Does Eminem deserve to be a Hall of Famer? Perhaps. I mean, he's certainly made his mark in the relatively short amount of time he's been active. But with other, more worthy hip-hop acts, even on this year's ballot alone, still waiting in the wings, it's kind of hard to justify him as a first-year inclusion. Finally, it is my utmost wish that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame finally stop jerking Judas Priest around this year and end the cycle of abuse. I think there's no greater evidence of the Rock Hall's disregard for metal than in its treatment of Judas Priest. Judas Priest are among the earliest, most iconic, and most influential artists of heavy metal, an integral and long-standing rock and roll subculture, and even today, nearly 50 years following their debut, they remain at the forefront of the scene. They have been eligible for induction since 1999, and seemingly everyone, aside from Rock Hall committee voters, feels they should have gotten in long ago. They didn't get their first nomination until the 2018 ballot, and although at least now they're getting nominated with some regularity, it still feels like too little too late. At this point, given The Rock Hall's disappointingly consistent and predictable treatment of metal acts, it's just hard to get excited whenever Judas Priest's name comes up. Though I wouldn't bet my life on it, I hope The Rock Hall Committee takes the opportunity to rise above itself this year and finally give metal its due, because this is seriously undermining its credibility as an authority on who or what was important to rock history. Also, let MC5 and the New York Dolls into the hall already. I reckon they've been patient enough as well. Anyway, before Rage, I played Hippy Dippy Doo by Rocket from the Crypt off their 1992 album Circa Now. I See by Letters to Cleo off their 1993 album Aurora Gorealis, Insect Kin by Bush off their 1996 album Razorblade Suitcase, Like It Like That by A Tribe Called Quest off their 1998 album The Love Movement, and Me and Eddie Vedder by The Rugburns off their 1994 album Morning Wood. Once again, you're listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen spirit. All right, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Spoon album, Lucifer on the Sofa. Not long ago, I was conversing with a fellow KBGA DJ over whether Spoon was 90s enough to be played on Sounds Like Teen Spirit. And you know, despite being familiar with Spoon for about half my life, I never really thought of them as a 90s band before. 
All the Spoon songs and albums I was aware of were from at earliest the 2000s, and I was operating under the assumption that they hadn't released much, if any, music before 2002's Kill the Moonlight. At any rate, this conversation had me reflecting on the beauty of the 2.0 in Sounds Like Teen Spirit 2.0. Roughly six and a half years ago, I deemed that I could still do a 90s show without restricting myself to just music released within the 1990s and launched the rebooted version of the show you're still enjoying today. And in freeing myself of that restriction, I've been able to continually broaden my horizons over the years regarding which music is relevant enough or adjacent enough to the 90s to still fit the show's theme. At this point, I'm incorporating all kinds of stuff I wouldn't have even considered playing around the outset circa 2015, because above all, Sounds Like Teen Spirit is a vehicle for me to share the music I enjoy. If I can connect a song or artist I like to the 90s in even the most tenuous of ways, then by gum, I'm gonna play it. And so I concluded that there is absolutely a place for Spoon in the Sounds Like Teen Spirit of today. And then, of course, after coming to that conclusion, I went and did the very basic research I probably should have done years ago and found that Spoon actually released two albums and three EPs in the 90s, and that the first of these came out in 94. So as I now know, not only is Spoon undisputably a 90s band, but from a technical standpoint, they're even more of a 90s band than Third Eye Blind. Hence, let this review serve as an apology for inexplicably ignoring Spoon's 90s cred all these years, and as the beginning of what I hope to be a long and highly sensual relationship between the music of Spoon and this program. Now, the latest Spoon album, Lucifer on the Sofa, is the band's 10th overall and the first in nearly five years following Hot Thoughts from March 2017, so there was a lot of weight riding on its shoulders before it even materialized. However, all my past experiences with Spoon have taught me better than to doubt their capabilities. Obviously, I haven't dug too deep into Spoon's discography since I only recently learned about their entire 90s output, but I've heard songs of theirs covering basically every distinct era of the band over the years, songs apparently running the full gamut of what Spoon can be, and I've liked them all. From what I've gathered, this is a band that does not make missteps. So no, I'm not at all surprised to find that Lucifer on the Sofa is another Spoon triumph, but I am a little surprised at how much the album appeals to my own sensibilities. Recent Spoon albums saw the band leaning more on their avant-garde and indie side, which has been good, but this one's more exemplary of the kind of bluesy alt-rock you'd sooner associate with the raconteurs or Black Keys, and I find that to be even better. Much like the similarly great new Eels album I reviewed in the last episode, Extreme Witchcraft, Spoon's Lucifer on the Sofa is roughly 38 minutes of all-killer, no-filler material, in which all of its songs are distinct from one another and enrich the overall listening experience in their own way. The opening track, Held, is a cover of a Smog song that Spoon have been including in their live sets for years, and while it initially seems like an odd one to kick off an album with, it ends up serving that purpose quite brilliantly in a low-key sort of way. Pre-release singles The Hardest Cut and Wild stand as two of the best Spoon songs I've ever heard, with the former being the kind of foot-stomping, two-sets-of-horns-in-the-air rocker you wouldn't typically expect from them. On the radio sounds like something straight off of the fan-favorite 2007 album, Ga 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 Ga, Feels Alright has all the funky swagger of a cake song, and ballads My Babe and Astral Jacket, along with semi-ballad Satellite, afford the album some much-welcomed moments of tranquility. 
Overall, Lucifer on the sofa is relatively straightforward when compared to other recent Spoon outings. In fact, some might even feel inclined to use the word safe, but it is undeniably of a heightened quality only a veteran band could produce, and I have a hard time imagining any fans being disappointed by it. Alright, this next song is one of my favorites from the album, The Devil and Mr. Jones. Enjoy! <laughs> What he is 
And remember who you're dealing with. KBGA Missoula, the cabbage. Gotta live, gotta 
really start a band Nobody wants to hear, nobody understands Don't start a band You will be so disappointed that it was nothing like a band Don't start a band Oh yeah, yeah, yeah because I'm omnipresent, I listen to all the radio stations at the same time, including KBGA. KBGA Missoula, 89.9. Three, oh, it's the magic number. Yeah, it is. It's the magic number. Somewhere in that ancient mystic trinity, You'll get three, it's the magic number. In the past and the present and the future, faith and hope and charity. 
Now multiply backwards from three times ten. pattern once more. Three, six, nine.
never can remember what the things that go bump in the night. The quietness of covers betrayal now hovers, and my comfort level's not quite right. Well, I love to stay and evaluate, but my torture can't wait. What seems like I'm losing ground. KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM
game My life's a shame I'm not living without you This heart has been choked My life's a joke And I'm not living without you My life's alone My life's alone I'm not living without you
The Screaming Trees with Make My Mind off their 1996 album Dust. On this episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, we lay to rest Screaming Trees frontman Mark Lanigan, who passed away in his Killarney, Ireland home on February 22nd at the age of 57. No cause of death has been made official as of yet, but it is widely speculated to be COVID-related. Roughly a year ago, Lanigan was hospitalized with severe COVID and experienced some particularly distressing symptoms over the months that followed, including temporarily losing both his hearing and the ability to walk, as well as slipping in and out of a coma. Eventually, he made it through the worst of it, but even then, his health continued to fluctuate. In a 2020 interview, Lanigan admitted to buying into a number of COVID conspiracy theories and feeling paranoid about the then-in-progress vaccines. However, in the final months of his life, while promoting his new memoir, Devil in a Coma, about his COVID-19 experience, he claimed to have been shown the hard way, the error of his thinking, and was taking his inoculation seriously. But alas, if the theories surrounding his cause of death are accurate, he was already too late. Mark Lanigan was known for his involvement in quite a few different musical ventures, but he was perhaps most famed for his work with Screaming Trees. He co-founded the band in 1984 and served as their frontman all the way up until their breakup in 2000, recording and releasing seven albums with them in that time frame. The Screaming Trees never blew up the way some of their grunge contemporaries like Pearl Jam and Nirvana had, but they did start to garner attention in the early 90s due to the success of the Nearly Lost You single off of 1992's Sweet Oblivion. Beyond the Screaming Trees, Lanigan was a recurring collaborator with Queens of the Stone Age, perhaps to return the favor to Josh Homme, who served as the Trees rhythm guitarist for a couple years in the mid-90s. Lanigan was an official member of Queens from 2001 to 2005, and ultimately has credits on all of their albums to date, except the first and last ones. He notably lent his vocals to several of the band's songs, particularly on the 2002 album Songs for the Deaf. Lanigan was also a friend and creative partner of Afghan Whigs frontman Greg Dooley, forming the short-lived musical duo The Gutter Twins with him and routinely contributing to his post-Whigs project, The Twilight Singers. On top of all that, Lanigan sang a few songs on the grunge supergroup Mad Season's lone album, Above, and he had numerous one-off collaborations over the years with artists like The Breeders, Moby, Walkabouts, and Manic Street Preachers. Finally, it's impossible to talk about Mark Lanigan without making mention of his rather impressive solo career. Even around all that stuff I just outlined, he managed to put out a whopping 12 solo albums over a 30-year frame, with the most recent one releasing in 2020. Mark Lanigan had earned the nickname Dark Mark with this chilling and earnest baritone, and it's a real shame that one-of-a-kind voice has been prematurely silenced. Maybe the Grim Reaper could finally start cutting grunge singers a break, huh? Anyway, before the Screaming Trees, I played Not Living by Cold Chamber off their 1999 album Chamber Music, Disciplined Breakdown by Collective Soul off their 1997 album of the same name, The Puritan by Blur off the 2012 single Under the West Way, Three is a Magic Number by Blind Melon off the 1996 compilation Schoolhouse Rock Rocks. Don't Start a Band by Real Big Fish off their 2005 album We're Not Happy Till You're Not Happy. And Ish Town by Live off their 1994 album Throwing Copper. You're still listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. 
To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen-spirit. All right, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Snoop Dogg album, B.O.D.R. You may not hear Snoop Dogg's songs on the radio so much anymore, so you'd be forgiven for not realizing he's actually been more prolific than ever as of late. Snoop has now released six studio albums over just the past six years, with his last one having dropped on 420 in 2021. However, Snoop's new album, B.O.D.R., despite being his first in under a year, is easily the most monumental album he's put out in quite a while. I reckon this will necessitate a bit of background. So, the legendary hip-hop label Death Row Records was founded in 1991 by Dr. Dre, Suge Knight, the D.O.C., and Dick Griffey, and it rapidly became the definitive base of operations for West Coast rappers in the early 90s East-West hip-hop feud. At its peak, Death Row was raking in over $100 million a year and repping icons like Dre, Tupac, and, of course, Snoop. However, the label began to fall on hard times following the death of Tupac and filed for bankruptcy in 2006. Over the years, the defunct label passed through the hands of a few different conglomerates before winding up under possession of the Blackstone Group in 2021. Then, on February 9th, 2022, Snoop Dogg announced that he had acquired Death Row Records with intent to revive the label. And two days later, he released the first Death Row record in 15 years, B.O.D.R., or Back on Death Row. This is Snoop's first album on Death Row in 26 years, following his 1996 sophomore album The Dog Father, and its cover resurrects the iconic cartoon dog avatar from the cover of his 1993 debut Doggy Style. I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't issue the album under the name Snoop Doggy Dog, but while BODR isn't entirely a Snoop Doggy Dog album, it is by and large a triumphant return to that early 90s G-Funk sound popularized by the likes of Dre, Ice Cube, and himself. That classic sound, a subcategory of gangster rap influenced by 70s-style funk, is ingrained throughout many of the album's songs, such as Coming Back, It's In The Air, Gotta Keep Pushing, Catch a Vibe, and House I Built. Generally, the most striking songs on the album are the ones that make proficient use of their featured guests. For instance, Conflicted has Snoop deftly weaving his rhymes around a great chorus provided by Nas. In similar fashion, Outside the Box has him navigating a posthumous hook from his cousin and fellow Death Row alum, Nate Dogg, one that must have been sitting in his vault for a real long time considering Nate's been dead since 2011, and Daddy, featuring Emo Trap, is perhaps the catchiest song on the album. It's decidedly not a G-Funk song and has much more in common with Snoop's contemporary stuff, but it's an undeniable banger of a tune, and if Snoop were looking to release a chart-topping single from B.O.D.R., he'd do well to start there. There are a fair share of exceptions to the rule, however. The songs Sandwich Bag and Doggy Stylin', which feature no one other than the D.O.Double-G, are both stone-cold Snoop classics. And then there's Kripya Enthusiasm, on which Snoop raps over a chopped and screwed version of the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. I'm guessing those of you familiar with the theme are having a hard time imagining that, and even as you're listening to it, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around at first. But Snoop, very much to his credit, ends up making that silly beat work rather well. It's one of those things you really gotta hear to believe. 
Ultimately, with its 17 songs, and yes, those are all proper songs with nary a skit or interlude in sight, totaling over 53 minutes in length, BODR is a highly concentrated dose of Snoop Dogg. It'll likely be too much for some folks to take in upon first listen, and several songs may initially fall by the wayside for you, as they did for me. But when taken individually, pretty much all of these tracks are strong, with maybe just a few lukewarm cuts at most. All in all, this almost certainly ranks among Snoop's best work, and anyone craving some old-school West Coast G-Funk ought to be very satisfied. Alright, this next track is probably my favorite from the album, and honestly one of the finest Snoop Dogg songs I've ever heard, period. This one consists of Snoop and featured guest The Game, both expertly spitting rhymes over an entrancingly psychedelic beat. I really wish it were longer than two and a half minutes. This song is called Jerseys in the Rafters. Enjoy! Hey yo dog, what's happening with some other people? I'm hip hop man. Give us some lyrics, huh? Some of that real hip hop, you know what I'm talking about? Or you lost in heavy. It was him, then me, and no one after So I blazed my trail and wrote my own chapter Stomp down, pterodactyl, raptors Game sustained, my new jerseys in the rafters Statisticians, they keep up with it No sleep till they get it And once they got it, they count it So I learned how to dismount it My landing was perfect A man with a purpose I learned to resurface A boss with no workers While you sleeping, I'm lurking I'm shifty at 50, I keep the work and I'm working. Big Snoop D go double G, yellow like Bumblebee, mellow like R&B. You just need to keep following me, I'm right where I ought to be. Plotting my pottery, I'm watching my calories, recharging my batteries. A ticket up front, that's my usual salary. They imitating my status, I call it flattery. I'm here forever, and that's just what that'll be. Look it up, hook it up, charge it to the game until you book it up. Take a picture, then look it up. Hit points. Snoop Dogg in the kitchen and cooking up. Hey, dog, get on the phone with Dre. Tell Dre call Interscope. Tell him to get me my ish or else. The game's to be sold, blood. Not to be told, blood. The chronic get broke down. Backwoods get rolled up. Yup. 50 bloods when I showed up. What's beef? Chopper turning diggins into cold cuts. Snoop told me show love, but diggins ain't deserve it. I'ma talk my ish like I'm the next rapper murder. Red sedan swerving with the Peter Pan working. Hand in hand serving right outside of Tan Burgers. Bullets ain't got no names. My fully quick to aim. I bullets like in new chains. I pull in the rip the strings. Puppet master. FNN's got them ducking faster. Aftermath. You say you know it ain't nothing after. I can't chill till I see a hundred mil. Hop off with PJ in the Ruba with a blunt chill. My old apartment's still in action. Water running still. And if I can't kill you, these L.A. summers will. It was him, then me, and no one after. So I blazed my trail and wrote my own chapter. Stomp down, pterodactyl, raptors, gang sustain. My new jerseys in the rafters. Run 
away Well, I'm tired of coding Pearl and I'm tired of VBA Maggot, throw your law books away Turn on, tune in, drop out, give up with me Now picture this Shopping in town for the homemade aquarium fortress You're texting Corey and Grant in a tile Kitchenette in the gun nest Where we'll find the little meadow High up in the cascades Baby, we won't ever come down Turn on, tune in, drop out, give up with me Turn on Tune in Drop out With me the whole thing's coming down, so let's just get out of the way Well, I'm not paranoid, there is no conspiracy But I swear big brother's watching me Turn on, tune in, drop out, give up with me So you said it ever to the local sir. Baby, we won't ever come down Turn on, tune in, drop out, give up with me
Snake Roberts, who gives a damn about those call letters? KBGA, KGBA, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know where the music's at, don't you? Stupid.
This is Silver Sprocket, host of Something Else, live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. I feature avant-garde, electroacoustic, free jazz, and more creative music every week. You'll get to hear advanced new releases straight from the artists and record labels before anybody else and extensive interviews with the artists themselves. How about you give something else a try? Live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. on KBGA Missoula, 89.9 FM, and streaming at kbga.org.
Crows with Could I've Been So Blind off their 1990 debut Shake Your Moneymaker. The Black Crows are coming to our neck of the woods this summer. They're going to be performing at Kettle House Amphitheater on August 13th as part of a new leg of the extensive Shake Your Moneymaker 30th anniversary tour that kicked off last year. The band will play the classic album in its entirety along with some of the hits from their other albums. I'm not sure if the Crows have ever played here before, but I know they were supposed to play at the short-lived Ryan Creek Meadows venue back in 2010. However, a freak storm on the day of the concert ripped through the band's sound equipment, forcing them to cancel at the very last minute. Twelve years and one breakup and reunion later, they're finally giving us the opportunity to see what we missed that day, so hopefully Missoula County's skies are on their best behavior this time around. As it so happens, the Crows are just one of several 90s-minded shows announced for the Kettle House over the past month. Third Eye Blind is going to be playing there on June 24th with support from Taking Back Sunday and Hockey Dad. The band, who just put out a new album last fall, have never performed in Missoula before to my knowledge, so it's exciting to see them on the schedule for 2022. 311 are also going to be headlining the Kettle House this year on May 24th, which would make theirs the earliest show announced for the 2022 concert season thus far. I don't believe 311 have played in Missoula since 2000, but they were scheduled to perform at the Kettle House in 2020 before COVID wiped the concert slate clean. However, this upcoming date is part of a brand new tour and not rescheduling, so any tickets purchased for the canceled 2020 show will not be honored here. Finally, Stone Temple Pilots are going to be at the Kettle House on May 30th as part of a stacked lineup that also includes Hailstorm, Blackstone Cherry, and Wolfgang Van Halen's Mammoth, who were supposed to open for Guns N' Roses at Washington Grizzly Stadium last year but had to bow out due to an outbreak of COVID among their crew. I don't think Stone Temple Pilots have been to Missoula since their 1994 tour in support of the Purple Album. Of course, it's not going to be the same without Scott Weiland, but new singer Jeff Goot has proven himself perfectly capable of emulating Weiland's vocals, so it still ought to be a good show. Tickets to all four of the aforementioned concerts are on sale now and can be purchased at the Top Hat box office or online through eTix. Pit tickets for the Black Crows concert are reportedly sold out, but other than that, all seating levels are still available for all shows as of last time I checked. Anyway, before the Crows, I played You Made Me Realize by My Bloody Valentine off their 1988 EP of the same name. My Grain by Corrosion of Conformity off their 1994 album Deliverance. Honey of Generation by Seven Mary Three off their 1997 album Rock Crown. Invincible by No Use for a Name off their 1997 album Making Friends and Turn On, Tune In, Drop Out With Me by Cracker off their 2009 album Sunrise in the Land of Milk and Honey. And that about wraps up a Loose Cannon episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I've been your host, Ian. I just found out a few days ago that Superchunk put out a new album in late February, so I'll be sure to review and play from that in the next episode since it was too late for me to incorporate it into this one. This past Friday, March 18th, saw the release of new albums from Cypress Hill and Stabbing Westward, with the latter being their first new album in over 20 years, and those will also be dissected next time. 
And as for this week, Weezer just put out the inaugural installment of their 2022 Seasons Project, which is actually a series of four EPs and not albums as previously reported, on the first official day of spring, today, March 20th. They're set to release additional EPs on the first days of summer, fall, and winter this year as well, which are June 21st, September 22nd, and December 21st, respectively. And this coming Friday, the 25th, Placebo will be releasing their first new album in roughly eight and a half years, Never Let Me Go. I might have to save one or both of those last two releases for another episode, but Superchunk, Cypress Hill, and Stabbing Westward will all be covered in the next one for sure. In the meantime, I'm closing out this episode by reviewing and playing a song from the new Midnight Oil album, Resist. I was definitely taken aback upon first learning that Midnight Oil, Australia's leading political rock band, be releasing a new album this year. The band originally broke up in 2002, and although I knew they had since reunited and were playing shows together again, I didn't think any new music from them was in the cards at all. So naturally, I was even more surprised to find that they previously issued an album in 2020 called The Macarada Project. However, this was far from a traditional release from Midnight Oil. It's essentially a charity album from which the band has been donating all proceeds to organizations intended to foster diplomatic relations between the Australian government and its indigenous peoples, and each track boasts a unique guest roster of indigenous artists. The album also contains just seven songs totaling 33 minutes and has been described by the band as a mini-album. Thus, the newly released studio album Resist is the first proper Midnight Oil album in 20 years, and it may well be the band's last album ever. Longtime bassist Bones Hillman, who had been with the band since 1987, died of cancer less than a month after the release of 2020's The Macarada Project, and the Resist album represents the final batch of songs written and recorded with him in his lifetime. Also, Midnight Oil announced late last year that they will retire from touring after the completion of their 2022 world tour. They made a point to emphasize that they're not disbanding and will remain open to making more music and the occasional one-off performance, but I have a feeling it's going to take a whole lot of stars to align for another album to follow this one. So for the purpose of this review, I'll be treating Resist as if it were the final Midnight Oil album. And I gotta say, if this album actually does end up being the last we ever get from them, then they've unleashed one hell of a parting salvo. Resist is an epic marathon of an album, with a dozen songs totaling just barely over an hour in length. In contrast with the Makarata Project, which predominantly emphasized its vast lineup of indigenous guests and treated Midnight Oil more like connective tissue, Resist places the spotlight squarely back on the core band, whose lineup had remained entirely steadfast since Hillman's arrival in 87. It's basically the same five guys doing the same thing they've always done, and doing it every bit as well as they've ever done before. Of course, this being a Midnight Oil album, just about all the songs on here are politically charged to some degree. As per usual, much of the lyrics deal specifically with Australian politics, which might not click with international listeners, but nonetheless, the passion and concern they hold for their country is genuine and easily felt. Besides, there are multiple songs dealing with climate change and other environmental issues, which are universally applicable, and the album's semi-titled track, We Resist, is about the general importance of recognizing and standing up to injustice. A broadly appealing message for sure, and as it so happens, a succinctly appropriate through-line for the entire album. If anything, Midnight Oil's convictions have only gotten stronger over time, and with all members of the veteran outfit now well into their 60s, there's a detectable air of exasperation and weariness in several of these songs. 
Even after nearly 50 years of raging against the Australian political machine, though, it's clear that theirs is a fire that will never be fully extinguished. As for the musical side of the equation, the band sounds tight as ever on Resist and still evidently knows how to flaunt its assets. The climate change song Rising Seas is likely the first one from the album, and perhaps even the first post-reunion song overall that most fans will hear given its status as the album's lead single and opening track, so it's certainly jarring for it to start off with almost a full minute of a cappella singing from frontman Peter Garrett. However, once the instrumental tracks suddenly kick in, the throwback vibes are immediate. It's as if the band never went away. Elsewhere on Resist, rockers such as Nobody's Child, Reef, and At the Time of Writing reveal themselves to be fiery new Midnight Oil classics, and ballads such as the aforementioned We Resist and penultimate track We Are Not Afraid give the album its moments of chilling poignancy. Ultimately, Resist isn't a mold-breaking album for Midnight Oil by any stretch, and at least a couple of its songs come off as slight or extraneous, but it's a thoroughly solid and robust effort that plays to the band's strengths, that's potentially the final chapter of their incredibly storied career, that's all you could really ask of it. Alright, this last song I'm going to play is the Resist track that made the biggest impression on me. This one's nearly seven minutes long and comes in two distinct phases. For its first half, it's arguably the hardest rocking song on the album, but around the midway point, it abruptly transitions into a mournful piano ballad. As you've surely figured out by now, I tend to gravitate more towards the rockers, so of course I prefer the first half of the song, but I feel both parts together truly make for something special. This song is called The Barca Darling River. Goodbye for now!
bag of idiots open Who drank the bottle of bad ideas Who drew the last drop from the bottom Good people, good people are forgotten Let's shake some truth out of the jar Let's kick the crooks out of the kitchen We'll tell some stories at the bar Good people, good people are forgotten Sister Mary plays her mystery train In a town at the end of a railway line Sister Mary plays her mystery train In a town at the end of the railway line So shake some truth out of the jar It's a battle of blurry edges There's a famine of compassion Good people Good people are forgotten Good people Good people are forgotten Good people Good people are forgotten.